Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Stakuyi here, and I'm actually not joined by Gabby. Uh, I'm, I'm joined by Nick. Hi, Nick. What's up? How's it going? Okay, I say Nick, but you all, if, if, for those of you who have followed or listened for anything here on uh, on TikTok, you might know him by a different name. Nick, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, everybody calls me the fat electrician. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I, I have to ask, because I, I never asked you in the first place this i probably should have i i actually probably should have done this but are you are you actually an electrician or were you an electrician before you did all this or do you See, still do it what cracks me up about this is everybody always asks are you really an electrician nobody asks are you really fat but yeah no <laughs> I'm, a- I'm actually an electrician man we so. are in america we're in america i can assume with an over 50 percent rate that the majority of us are likely somewhat overweight. I, I, I am. I am myself. So, <laughs> so it's, it's funny. I was I was going to make a video. There's a there's this prank scene that I keep getting tagged in where uh, this guy's like on a hiking trail and he waits for people to come hiking up. And then he's got like a fake corpse. It's all bloody. And he's got an axe. And like right when they're walking up like 20 feet away, he like walks across the trail with this body and then like lets it go and starts chasing the people. And uh, I was like, absolutely not in America because he did it five times in a row and nobody shot at him. Oh, but, my you God. know, that's 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 why the Americans are fat. We just we don't have to run. No, that got also depends on where they are. Are they in California? Because if so, <laughs> oh, look, every like, look, I fully appreciate that, like, Texas will shoot you. But if you think there aren't some people that will, like, run at you without a gun from California, you're wrong. They no, you go will. to the outs- outskirts of it. Like, here's the thing. When you when you look at demographics, like where people are concentrated here, then all along the coast, like in the major cities, of course, you're going to have a greater pre- uh, like presence of people who won't. But. The outer parts like the we're talking beyond like into the mountains going beyond just the coast of California. It's very rural. It's very rural. And there are people who are very defensive and fierce of their like own individual little areas. And it's not it's Uh, one of those things that you think of California. You just don't realize until you think about it. It's not like the entire state is one thing. I'm from California, so like there's a good part of California that actually wants to split California into two separate states. Primarily like, in the north, right? North, like the yeah, north the far far northern California is very much more conservative than the rest of California. Yep. Yep. Like it, they're yeah. That's it's a, it's where a, whole a different world. large number if I correct me if I'm wrong, that's where a large number of the old ranches and vineyards are. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of them. That makes a lot of sense. But okay, today, for those of you who are listening, thank you for joining in for us here. We are actually not here to talk about California and its topography, though. Wait, now that I actually think about it, that would be an interesting one for here. 
we get into really ra- have you listened to any of the stuff on this podcast before ah okay so ju- just to sum it up this is random this is very random yeah. for anyone I, I don't know if this is your all's first episode for anything that you're in on here but generally speaking we talk about anything and everything from potatoes which was the first episode to we just finished like an eight-part series on the crusades dope so there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in here but the oh reason <laughs> the reason that i wanted to bring you on here is that one of the requests that i've often gotten on patreon and other things is to talk about like ships like navy things now i know a decent amount when it comes to say military history but I'm not nearly as in-depth when it comes to a lot of uh, some of the finer details when it comes to battleships, other things like that. Like, I know the history. I know the stories. I know the really fun and dumb ones. And I know some of the badass ones. But I know there's a lot of nitty gritty in there that I'm not going to be the proper source for. And I wanted to bring someone on who, well, is, who who is great at this stuff. So, hence, why I reached out to you. Oh, shit. That's me. I thought you were going to bring on a third guy. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> I'm just an asshole that makes synonyms for death. I know that <laughs> the synonyms for death are fun and they talk about the floaty boats that go boom. That's fair. That's fair. All right. We can do this. I mean, for Christ's sake, your entire logo is a rubber ducky. <laughs> I mean, what do you want from me? It's a quack bang grenade, first of all. Thank you. So how big of a quack bang grenade do you think would fit inside one of the 16-inch guns of the Wisconsin? Uh, I mean, you- they're like the size of the car. I think the – so the Wisconsin's an Iowa class. That's uh, 16-inch diameter shells, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, 16. The Yamato's 18.1. I think it's, it's – six- oh, wait, no. It wasn't – I thought it was 16.1. Was it just a flat 16? I think it's a flat 16. I think the Yamato is 18.1. Yes, the, the Yamato is that. It also is like twice the size as well. Like what, 75 or 76,000 tons, I believe? Uh, it's Yeah, it's a lot. It was ridiculously heavy. I mean, that's why it's at the bottom of the ocean. Well, <laughs> that and the fact that it doesn't, they, they focus so much on it. They didn't provide nearly as much support in terms of carrier and aircraft, despite that they should. But of course, it was simultaneously a what's the word a morale booster it was an icon more than anything else so, that's why right, it was never like, really used are you are you super like are you super familiar with like japanese government structure during and yes like, predating world war ii like the the yamato and the musashi were pretty much entirely built not because they were going to be effective but because the navy and the army hated each other yep. in japan and they wanted to like give a big f you to the army to show how strong their navy was in comparison to the army so like it was a political statement from the beginning that was obsolete by the time it was finished it was political and economic because they had a set amount of resources of not just money but physical material steel that could be doled out and each side was competing for who would get what resources so you would claim a bigger better grander project to try and take more of it not because it would actually be useful but because it was going to screw over the other guy Yep, 100%. Like, it's just one of the, oh my god, this structure, like, when you go in and you actually look at the organization for it here, the same thing kind of happened with the Germans, because the different branches of the the German military in World War II, while they had some amazing commanders, simultaneously, the actual structure of it 
was so it, it was competitive, which in some ways was good because it encouraged people to do their best. But they also didn't work with each other. And it sabotaged so many operations that didn't need to be. Oh, well, the Germans had a classic case of the, you know, the faulty logic of bigger is better. And when you're talking uh, actual like warfare zoomed out generals looking at the board, that's never been the case in history ever that I can think of. Uh, bigger is very rarely better. And uh, like that's a lesson that keeps having to get learned and relearned and relearned. The and it's currently being relearned right now. <clears throat> no, it's true. The only case in which it is is when something is developed that is so innovative that it can't really be countered. Like, like for example, the American Civil War, when you yeah. had the like the monitor, when you had the actual first ironclads, the expense and cost, like the insanity of building that was huge. But in the end, you had a vessel that at the time nothing else could touch except another ironclad. Right. So and then, that's where almost- it makes sense. Almost always in history, when you have something like that, where it's like, oh, it's untouchable, somebody comes along and figures out how to just destroy it for like 99 cents. Yeah. I mean, like every time you you have the uh, watch. What was it called? The H.L. Hunley, the the first submarine that was ever really used in in um, in like warfare and like in an actual like full warfare, I think. Which was the Confederate submarine that was a goddamn underwater paddle boat? Yep, oh. like literally a giant whiskey barrel, wasn't it? Uh, imagine Basically. a canoe. Imagine a canoe, but on it, two canoes that were glued together. Essentially, that's literally what it was like. It was like two canoes that were glued together with winches on the inside that you would, uh, like for a, like for an awl or a drill bit that you would just spin, and that's what propelled the propeller. And push it forward. And then on the end of the H.L. Hunley was a giant rod. I think it was like I think it was like 12 to 18 feet or so that at the end of that rod was what they called at the time a torpedo, which was essentially just a bomb. Like it was a touch activated bomb that when it hit something, it would trigger the explosive. It was it was a mine on a stick. That's awesome. And the one ship, the one ship that it ever brought down, I think it was. Oh, shit. Why can I not remember? Was it the Constitution? No, it wasn't the Constitution. It, it, it brought down a Union ship. It was the only successful voyage that it ever had. And I think it was the backblast of it destroyed the sub and it sank to the bottom. Nice. Well, actually, no, no, no. They did tests on it. It didn't actually destroy it. It was that the, they had a very limited amount of time for air. Because they, they just were doing studies on this and they learned, okay, so the backblast didn't destroy the sub, but they ran out of time while trying to get back to shore. And then oxygen deprivation, the crew fell asleep inside the sub and they all died and it sank to the bottom. And subs are submarines are brutal up until like very recent history. Yeah, I even during war, even during World War Two, submarines were absolutely brutal to be on. They were, but do you have any idea how bad the ones from World War One were? I, dude, I've heard, I've re- I've read enough about the ones just for like the Soviet Union ones from World War Two. Oh, like all diesel powered, like they had like a fifty percent kill rate for just people inhaling diesel fumes till they died. It was absolutely brutal to yep. read. And the the hybrid, what was it, gasoline electric engines that the Germans used 
the moment that anything could touch them like water, any water got on it whatsoever. You're talking about chlorine gas filling a tight space in the ship. It was not pleasant. And it blew my mind how they didn't actually have a very long um, they didn't have a very long dive time. They they got better in World War Two, but in World War One, they could only be underwater for like an hour, maybe two hours tops. I think it was. I it did was, not know that. It was short. I might not have been that short, but it was something along the lines of like two hours or so. It was a very small time. The otherwise, the majority of the time, the U-boats were above water, and that's why they had those top deck guns. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why. Uh, I mean, that was up in World War Two too. I mean, with the USS O'Bannon, like, yep. and the top guns on the Japanese sub that they attacked. Oh, that's one of the stories I wanted to talk about with the potatoes. Absolutely. Yep, that's not a battleship. Yes. Though. That was a uh, that was a Fletcher class destroyer, I think. Yeah, we was a destroyer for here, a very heavily yeah. armed one at the time for it too. Yeah, they were a lot more armed in World War Two than they are now, for sure. Oh Lord. Well, if we're talking battleships, yeah. we, we have to say we, we're talking battleships and submarines. It's not World War Two, but World War One, like the initial British dreadnought. Like, and I'm not talking the dreadnought class. I mean, the literal HMS dreadnought, like the one that everything is based off of. Yep. That that was something that I always I always found interesting. And I think what was it? The Oh, man, I can't remember the detail, but I, I always wondered what did dreadnought mean? My wife looked it up quite literally a week ago, and it comes from literally uh, like a poem or a phrase that is like, dre- like, fear not this thing or, oh, God, I can't remember. It's going to frustrate me now that I can't pull that up. But those things were essentially untouchable in World War One from subs. Yeah, they uh, they started an arms race for sure. Um, what what I, battleships is actually my favorite example because like if you know if your audience hasn't doesn't know who I am or whatever, uh, one of my slogans is it's never a war crime the first time. Yes. And uh, when when I talk about war crimes, like it's almost become a pet peeve of mine where like I get so sick of people like in random comments oh, that's a war crime, but like they say it with the conviction like Judge Dredd is going to superhero drop out of the sky and like punish the. Vi- the perpetrators and like just historically that never happens um and like battleships is a great example of like what is a war crime and how nobody really gives a shit at the time uh because every battleship that was uh basically designed violated uh the geneva convention and a treaty and was in fact a war crime yep only when the guns are down and the pens are up does anything actually get determined Right. I mean, uh, in in the treaty, it was actually that uh, no battleship was supposed to weigh more than 60 or displace more than 60,000 tons when fully loaded. Yep. And the eye of like the top battleships of all time, which is the Iowa class, the Bismarck class, and for some reason, the Yamato class, uh, they all go way past 60,000. I think I think the Iowas get up to like 72, which is like the closest. But everybody was just like, yeah, we're not even No, playing. Yamato was 70 I think it was 75,800. I think that's empty though. Empty. Holy shit. Then wait. Yeah, a like I that? I think I think that's the empty weight because the Iowa class when it's actually fully loaded like leaving port to go to battle. 
It's like upper 60s. And if I recall, that's the London Naval Treaty. Yes, it is. That that everyone was a signature to, but was still violated repeatedly. Yeah, okay. So the official reports for Iowa-class battleships are that they weigh 47,000 tons and 60,000 tons on the dot when fully loaded on the like, dot yeah which is blatantly a fucking lie like i've had people get a hold of me that served on the new jersey and they're like we were way more than sixty thousand tons they load it but every single crew member at the time that it signed up is some scrawny six-year-old <laughs> sitting there holding fucking helium balloons <laughs> <laughs> they just got weather balloons and brought them in to lift right. some of the stuff temporarily <laughs> Yeah, or like no says, one of those uh, anti-aircraft blimps. Yeah, so the Yamato at full the Yamato is sixty nine thousand and then seventy two thousand at full load, which is twelve thousand past the treaty limit. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yep, yep, yep. The, the reason I want to bring up that dreadnought is one of the stories that they had. I, I love that this is the case. It's the a, a submarine never killed a battleship in World War One, but. A battleship, a dreadnought specifically, killed a submarine in World War One. Really? <laughs> not by not by gunning it. They rammed the fucker. Oh, that's common. I know no, but that's just it. You say that's common for it. No one ever expected for it. But we think of submarines as these small but fast hidden weapons, right? Yeah. The dread at the time, this was such a new technology. The HMS Dreadnought was moving something like 33 knots an hour. The uh, what was it? I think. Uh, hold on. I had it written down here. U9. So the it was the it, it was um or well, not U9, U29. So U29 was the 29th submarine that was ever built. And it was it had a max speed of 26 knots. So this was a submarine that was slower than a battleship that was rowing it down i mean it's insane we're talking we're talking the it was 212 feet long and a displacement of 675 tons but the dreadnought was 20,000 tons at 527 feet it literally weighed what, what, what would that be 10 yeah yeah, yeah. it it weighed many many times more 18x yes and it was equipped with a ram like a rambo wait ram bow yeah ram bow not rambo (laughs) rambo would be equipped with something else though i can only imagine sylvester stallone on the like like just like on the bow of a deck just like laying down with a with an anti-aircraft gun or something I mean, you know, the USS Barb flipped that script, right? (laughs) Like the USS Barb is a submarine that was ramming uh, Japanese merchant vessels. Oh, Lord. Uh, Like on multiple occasions, like they surfaced and drove through merchant vessels. Damn, that is hilarious. It's USS Barb's probably got the craziest history of any any ship. Are you sure? Any the William, sub for the, sure. Well, maybe maybe any sub. The Willie D is still to this day. I think the, no. the craziest. No, I pr- the, if you went if you did the full history of the USS Barb, the amount of badass that the Barb did outweighs the amount of sheer ridiculous stupidity that the Willie D Porter had. Okay, well like I would have to look at that here because I oh. 
Yeah, well, g- give, an, give an example. Do you have just one off the top of your head? Absolutely. I got the whole history off the top of my head. I mean, we'll go so, for it. <clears throat> all right. So uh, generally speaking, the commander of a submarine is only allowed to serve in four war tours or sorry, three war tours. And uh, the theory behind that is a, a submarine commander after three tours will either become too cautious or too reckless. So it, it became standard practice that just you, you did three and you were done. You moved on because since the ratio, since your uh, casualty rate was generally higher, they didn't want people either tempting fate, essentially. Basically, in, in a way, um, I mean, the American subs had a lot, a lot better uh, survivability rate than like the Soviet Union did. But yeah, that's not it, saying it, much. The same thing applied to the, right. to, the, to, the to the Sherman. Right. Like, what was so, it? The Sherman, I think, had like an 80 percent survivability rate, whereas the it was a less than 40 percent for a T-34, I believe. OK, so. The USS Barb, uh, it, it served under three other guys, but what, when it really came into uh, into play was when it served under Eugene Lucky Flucky was his name. Lucky and, uh, Flucky? <laughs> Lucky Flucky, dude. I, I did a whole video on the Barb. It's my favorite video. It's the longest video I've ever done. It's six minutes. Like the shirt is for sale in my merch store right now. It's got the Barbus. So that's what the USS Barb's named after. It's holding a stick of dynamite and it says fluck around and find out. So... Eugene Lucky Flucky in his first two war tours, like is setting records. Dude is sinking ships left and right. Okay. And you can, uh, I wish I, we were on video. You can pull up the USS Barb's war flag and every patch on that flag represents a different, uh, objective that the USS Barb took down. There's no room on the fucking flag. Oh, they had God. to start. They they had to start taking patches off and then re-putting the patches back on with like a number on it, like seven. Like there's a bunch of them that say seven, and it's like seven merchant vessels that patch represents. Like they sunk a shit ton of stuff. And then on his third war tour, Flucky is like, "Well, it's my last shot at this. We're gonna we're gonna get it done right." <clears throat> and uh he literally oh dear revolu- god yeah i'm looking at it right now <laughs> he, i'm he, looking at the barb <laughs> yeah so he he revolutionized submarine warfare on his uh his third and supposedly final war tour uh because up until then it was literally like submarines would just wait until somebody f- sailed over and then they'd hit him with a torpedo and run barb was like fuck that we're gonna go out and we're gonna attack they actually snuck into a japanese harbor at night through a minefield wait is, sang- is this the crew that got out of the sub and sabotage stuff on land yeah oh yes okay okay so, i am familiar yeah with that. so yeah so the third one they go in they sink a bunch of ships inside of an enemy harbor it's like the first like directly offensive attack with a submarine ever uh the president becomes a personal fanboy at that point and they put flucky in like all these newspaper articles he gets the medal of honor uh his his crew was so nuts that they were known for disassembling torpedoes in their vessel and then reassembling them with uh much more sensitive fuses because torpedoes during world war ii were like a 50 50 shot even if you hit yeah, it's why you fired a barrage and you never fired one torpedo. Exactly. Well, they were disassembling the torpedoes underwater and like giving them hair triggers to get better shots at taking down uh, objectives. 
So then he gets a medal of honor and they're like, you know, whatever. And he's like supposed to retire and not be a sub commander anymore. Well, he personally requests that he gets a fourth war tour. So they're like, oh, well, we just gave him the medal of honor. I, why not? You know, he, he, he probably won't be too reckless or, you know, too conservative <laughs> about it. And they're like, yeah, go ahead. And he's like, by the way, I want rocket launchers on my submarine. And they did it. So he became. Wait, he just he, requested that. Was that like a written request, or he yeah, just no, said it? Yeah, to no, guy? straight up. No, no. He literally like he got whoever he had to talk to. He got rocket launcher barrages attached to the top of the USS Barb, and then he went out and became the first submarine to ever do a sea to ground attack. And he did shore bombardments with a sub and was taking out <laughs> enemy factories that nobody else could get to. This fucking submarine because he'd go underneath all the all the security, then surface, launch a bunch of rockets, and then go back and take off, like straight just Captain Nemo out of a book type stuff. That and is then, amazing. Of, and then of course you know the story with uh with the the train. Yes, I'm familiar with the train <laughs> story, the great sabotage. <laughs> yep, that's uh, that was actually like the uh, the very start of like Navy SEAL tactics. Well, for those, uh, for, because obviously we have an audience that's listening right now, do you want to go ahead and just tell the story for it? Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Uh, sure. So uh, there was a there was a train that basically skirted the coastline on a on a Japanese island. And what was going on at the time was Flucky was basically just sitting right outside this Japanese harbor. And whenever merchant ships would come out, he would sink them. But he got tired of waiting. So this train that fed the harbor that, you know, in the supply line, trains, harbor, loaded on the ship, send it off. He's like, well, I'm tired of waiting for these fucking boats to spawn. I'm just going to take out the train and be done with it. But he couldn't get close enough to the coastline uh, without, like, being within range of actual artillery. So they devised this plan. They had uh, the electrician on board. Take a scuttling charge, which, uh, if you don't know, is a 55-pound charge they have on the ship that's designed to sink your own vessel instead of letting the enemy capture it. Yep. Well, he he basically – the electrician rigged up a pressure switch, and then uh, I, I believe it was six of them. Uh, Flucky, being an awesome leader – demanded that he he go to but his two subordinate officers like threatened to call the admiral if he left the vessel <laughs> so flucky went and found like i said i think it was six of them but all six of them were like eagle scouts and he deliberately picked uh people that were eagle scouts because they were most likely to be able to survive if shit hit the fan and also he picked he tried to pick one man from every like group on the sub. Like there was a cook, there was a a guy from like each type of station because he it was the everybody. A team, but it was the Flucky team, right? But he wanted it to be equal representation across all the different jobs. Uh, so they went out at night. They set this pressure pressure switch underneath the uh, train tracks, and they got back on the little 
raft they went out on and they were going back to the sub when the train went by and it, it hit that pressure switch and apparently it blew the train engine 200 feet into the air and just completely destroyed everything and then the crew hopped back in the ship and they took off and uh but the most impressive part is flucky four war tours battle of honor he he sunk the most tonnage of any submarine during world war ii he set records for the most tonnage of enemy vessels sunk in a day record for the most number of vessels every record there is this guy said it and in four war tours he never had a single fatality or serious injury on the uss barb damn well i mean to be fair if you're gonna have a fatality in a sub it's gonna be more than one person typically right that's kind of a it's kind of a group effort in that regard right yeah for sure but you know having having nothing in four war tours when you're letting guys leave the boat and uh, oh uh, this is true with them going out uh onto the japanese island also those six uh sailors are actually the only united states service members to officially invade japan oh Um, they, they were the only six americans to set foot in a combatant role on a Japanese main main island during World War II, the only ones to do it, the legit vanguard force. Yep. I but mean, that's six that, dudes, and one of them's a cook. And <laughs> right, but I mean, that's like the that was the rough draft for what seals do nowadays. That's the first time anybody had ever done it. Damn, God, it's it's such a good story, and it's so innovative and new. Like, yeah. I. I had one of this. I was looking at more into different things for battleships. Do you know what the oldest? I'm not going to use the term battleship, but you know what the oldest warship is that's in service right now? For America? No, just in general. Oh, no, I know America. It's a USS Constitution, but true. Yes, it is for the um, for the British, which is actually the oldest. It's the HMS Victory. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Back, this, back when they were killing each other for spices. This it was launched in 1765 and it's still being used. Now, admittedly, nowadays, it's like a um, it's it's, it's a, a museum. It's a, essentially a museum, but it's it actually is sailing like it's an actual sailing ship. It, it's not converted into a museum like the USS Wisconsin is. Right. It's a fully functional ship that initially was made into a dry dock as a museum in 1922 but it's technically still in service and sails around so that it is the oldest ship still to like still be commissioned at like 240 years old it's insane which i mean it had 104 guns can i you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna rant for a minute go for it my my, my biggest pet peeve on the planet lately for some reason uh, I did a video on the USS New Jersey and how it sunk an island. And in my video, I said the USS New Jersey was the longest serving United States battleship. And I had like, I don't know, 500 people chime in and be like, you need to do your research better because New Jersey is not the longest serving battleship. The USS Constitution is. Um, no, no, it isn't. It's it's a warship. I'll give you that. It's it's a navy ship. I'll give you that. It's not a battleship. Well, it's a oh, ship that goes. It's a right. ship that goes into battle. I go. No, you're you're fucking dumb. That's not what that means. Okay. <laughs> like I know. The USS Constitution is a frigate. It's literally a fucking sailboat. Like no, it's not the same thing. It's not only that for like. It, 
a battleship. Like the term that we use, battleship, is based on it. They are dreadnoughts. Dreadnoughts became battleships for once they were more modernized into war. Even going into World War One, they were dreadnought class. The only thing that made things battleships was the creation of super weapons or what they imagined would be super weapons specifically for World War Two. Technically, the ones in World War One were battleships, but they were proto battleships. Right. So it's not like you can't just change the terminology by that logic. A fucking trireme from ancient Greece is, in fact, the battleship. And even yep. then, go back. It's older. Right. Ugh. Because I'm pretty sure Greece still utilizes some. Tri- Obviously, it's not made of the original stuff because it's wood. But. Oh, my God, that that's been one of the things that I agree when I've made videos and done things that people who go actually and then it's just it completely different by definition for what they would do. Like, look, I mess stuff up all the time. Like, yes, yeah, so I'm, ha- I'm, ha- I'm happy to admit it. But like, damn, I said that wrong. My bad. But like, like, I don't know, just like I if you come back at me and be like, well, it's a ship that goes into battle. Like, I know you went and you Googled it and you realized that you were wrong and now you just won't admit it. Like, just say I'm dumb. Sorry. Like shit happens. <laughs> oh, dear God. No, I, I, I get it. I absolutely get it. That's oh, that makes way too much sense. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking way more about submarines than we are about battleships. What do you want to talk about? Oh, OK. Uh, let's see here trying to think but uh, the interactions because we're talking about the two extremes you're talking about the biggest and heaviest and greatest and also the most lithe and sneakiest like these are the two extremes of the spectrum when you're talking warships for it here but in your opinion if we're talking a battleship because we're talking about the best and the badass what's the worst what's the worst yeah personally i think it's the yamato yeah, De- dead ass serious. I will make a strong case that the Yamato is the worst battleship of all time. I agree. No, I, I'm actually in full agreement. It's one of the things I've talked about on my channel extensively. Cost effectiveness for yeah, the same material that they made that one ship. They could have made two or three other ships that would have been able to cover more ground and been more yeah. effective. Well, it's not only that is, it, you know, when like you're absolutely right about being able to have more ships, but also. Uh, you know, you think about like investing like any any type of conventional knowledge, regardless of what category it's in. It's never good to put all your eggs in one basket I and mean, then had, not use it. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what they did, because it was then too valuable, because if they did lost, lose it, they would have nothing. So they forced themselves into this category of like, well, I can't use it because if I lose it, I won't have anything. But I basically have nothing now because I'm too scared to use it. Like and that's exactly what happened. Yep. I think what was it in the end? The ship was when it was crippled. It was parked at a bay to essentially be used as a beached slash floating gun battery like that. That was its purpose. And then it just got bombed. Like Uh, That's how it was finished off. It got sunk by the Enterprise. It's just I'm I'm in full agreement. And that's one of the things I'm I'm a huge fan of, like anime and other things like that. I'll admit for those of you who don't know me here for anything, I I love anime. It's one of the great art forms here that you can make so many stuff with the one of the things that really bothers me in history for it here is the obsession. I get it, of course, is a Japanese medium, but the obsession that it has with a katanas and other samurai blades that in general were mediocre, generally at best. And 
on so top of that ships do you have any idea how many like oh this is a great ship we've just made this new thing for this new war show or movie what are we going to call it well this character that is reincarnated from the other world has decided to call it the yamato <laughs> so so can i can i clarify on the katana thing yes katanas are actually phenomenal but i think the point you're trying to make is uh the steel that's native to japan is not high quality it's not great steel let me clarify my statement yeah so like uh actually like the japanese craftsmanship is what made katanas so impressive so if if you don't know anything about knives or swords when you look at a katana there's that line down the middle which is called a harmon and then there's the two different shades of metal so the back the spine of the blade is actually softer and the edge of the blade is harder and that actually allows the metal to flex and that level of craftsmanship being able to do that helped compensate for the fact that the steel was such low quality because of that's just all that was native to japan correct so it is making a workable good blade out of the most shit materials you possibly could pretty much and that that's when i say the thing for it's not that they are terrible blades it's that the worship that they receive it's like if you have a katana that is made with say modern steel and modern techniques which it doesn't need the stuff that would go into it that would would have made say 400 years ago but now you have something that is pretty good but still based off the type of combat it's suited for very different things like for example you have a long sword or, or say one of the indian punch blades or something like that you can go up against decently heavy armor with that with no problems it's still one of those blades that is a not going to be useful against most types of armor or defense around the world or other blades for that matter. And simultaneously, it's given a lot of worship because people treat it as though it was a main weapon when it never was. Katanas did not really begin to become more romanticized until going into the Edo period. So after many swords were seized and the samurai no longer were fighting wars once they were all bureaucrats and drinking tea all day and living off government pensions, which that's a whole other thing that that I could go on in extensive detail leading to the Meiji restoration. But that is where you saw a lot of romanticized poetry focusing on the samurai and the blade because that was their, that was their legacy. That was their, their peace that stayed with them for the entire time. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is because there was three different lengths of samurai blade mm-hmm. and uh, well, there was more the, like, but the main one well, was the I mean, Tanto like, Wakizashi and Katana. Right. Because which is the short one where it's only like 18 inches long? The blade. Yeah, the, 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 you're thinking of the Wakizashi. The Wakizashi is the short sword. Right. And it's like it was like much more used, I thought. Correct. Like Correct. close quarters combat. And it was like way more used than a conventional length Katana. Well, that's just it. Before the katana, the most common blade that you actually saw, and this was what you saw in the uh, the Mongol invasion of Japan, which, oh, yeah, you know, when the Mongols invaded Japan using their battleships, but were sunk by a <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, and I have to use the term <laughs> just because okay. I know I'm talking to you here. But right. it, of course, gets sunk by the uh, by the kamikaze, by the typhoon that they face. But they the blade that the samurai used at that time was something called a tanto. Not Tanto, a, a, uh, uh, a, why am I forgetting the name for it here? The Tanto is the short blade. A, uh, Tachi, that's what it is. A Tachi is, 
you know how the katana has that slight curve to it? Huh? Well, the the Tachi has a slightly less curve. Like it still has a curve, but it's more straight than the katana is, and it's longer and heavier because it was a weapon that was designed more to be used from horseback. Yeah. Because at that time, the samurai were mounted archers. The samurai fought like the Mongols did. That's the thing. That's what so many people don't realize. The samurai for the longest time, they were bowmen. That's what they were. So I think like this Japanese is absolutely not my realm of. Any, I'm sorry. I'm going on a rant. I'm going near on a rant. semi expertise. But no, but I want to teach you something about Japanese that I think you might not know that I actually do know. What is that? Are you familiar with uh, jujitsu? Yes. Like Brazilian jujitsu? Yes. You know that that's all derived from Japan and how that came to be, right? I don't know the story of it, but I do know how it is because a lot of the martial arts for stuff that came here from um, they they originated the ones that came from Japan largely took base from Chinese Kempo, which is that's like the old version of what became Kung Fu. And then uh, they take. Oh, what's the the term for it here? There, there's different original styles. Like, I think my favorite among all of them is uh, Muay Thai, which is the only martial art, mind you, that is specifically designed to kill. Like, that was the purpose of it was to kill. Mm. It is a war martial art. That's what jujitsu is. I'm talking about like for so, the ancient ones, but yes. So okay, so. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu came from Japan to Brazil, and then a guy named Helio Gracie modified it for smaller people, changed the style. That's where Brazilian jiu-jitsu came from. But originally, it all comes from Japanese jiu-jitsu. And uh, uh, are you at your computer right now? I am. If you type in, like, jiu-jitsu gi, you can look it up. It's a very – it's like a really, really thick martial arts uniform. It's very – it's almost like wearing a carpet. Um, Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode. Where I'd like to tell you a story. The reason they wear that is because that is very similar to what a samurai wore underneath their plate armor. Mm-hmm. And the reason they do that is because jujitsu is invented or developed because uh, samurai weren't, you know, they were loyal to a shogun. They were basically it was it was uh, feudalism. The, the daimyo. Daimyo is the term you're daimyo, looking sorry. for. Sorry. So they were basically mercenaries that yep. were like sworn loyalty to a given guy. So within the samurais, there was kind of a understanding of like, oh, you're sworn to this guy. I'm sworn to that guy. But we're both like, it's kind of like being a, an electrician today. Like, I'm going to get along kind with of like being with, an electrician like, today. Like, I'm, I'm going to get along with other electricians if they don't work for my company. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still going to go out I know, with I you. Know. I just I never I've never heard it phrased that way. But, you know, OK, like. 
that's that's what it is though like you know it's fucking hey we're all the same uh we, we all do the same occupation we just got a different different boss right now doesn't mean we can't be friends and uh, because of that like these guys would be like oh well we're doing war during the day and during during the night we're gonna go in the into the middle of the battlefield with you know no armor and we're gonna have dinner together because that's just what we do mm-hmm. and that's what they would do allegedly and you weren't allowed to draw your sword at dinner after the sun goes down. And if you did, like everybody was jumping your ass, like then you're just you're done. So jujitsu developed because if there was a disagreement, you could wrestle to solve it. Well, they would start wrestling. Well, jujitsu is all about how do I break their arm? How do I break their leg? How do I choke them unconscious? So the theory is, is when they were wrestling at night, they would they started trying to break each other's arms so that tomorrow on the battlefield, they couldn't raise their sword to defend themselves so that they could kill him in the battle tomorrow. And that's the theory of how like jujitsu. I mean, you can't fire an arrow with one arm like you can still hold a weapon in one hand. You can't really fire a bow. (laughs) Right. Well, well, that in Japanese katanas, two hands anyways, Mm -hmm. their whole fighting styles. That's all you've trained, which I would assume that's what they did. It's supposed to be. It depends. So if you're looking at like there are there are styles. So uh, uh, Nitoryu or or not. That's uh, that's dragon for here. Uh, so there are there's two blade styles, but they are rarer. And typically speaking, they were only used by famous duelists. I actually just got oh, what's his name. I just got a copy of the Book of Five Rings. Oh, by Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, Musashi. Yes, him. There you go. So I'm excited so, to read that. So he's one of the famous ones that would do it. Yes, that's yeah, literally yeah, exactly. that's that's exactly what I'm referencing here. Um, but, uh, anyways, back to the Yamato being a giant piece of shit. Yes, yeah, so oh. for this is another thing, and you see how we went off on a tangent here. And for anyone that is going to be a guest at some point in the future, if you listen to this podcast, please know this is the normal thing that happens for any listeners who are already already aware that when I talk to things about Gabby, we'll be talking about something with the Crusades. And then eventually we're going to go off some random direction into the spice trade for how that's connected, Um, which, yeah, that is. But yes, Yamato, piece of shit, not used properly. And at the very end was pretty much just target practice. The thing that pisses me off so much, too, is like, I will argue till I die that any Iowa class battleship by itself, one on one, will absolutely demolish the Yamato. It would. And the reasoning, like, well, so many people are like, well, the Yamato has a bigger gun. The Iowa could only take one hit from the Yamato. I go, yeah, but the Yamato couldn't hit the Iowa. Yeah, that's exactly from what range. It didn't have the radar. It didn't have the sensor equipment that would have been able to identify. Okay, so for those of you listening, uh, the Japanese during World War II did not have radar at all. So they were when they were targeting for rounds, they were using an optical fucking setup to be able to target. So like literally look like fucking pirate. What's the, the little telescope? Like they were straight up just like nah, fucking that looks about this far. And they were just fucking shooting these shells, hoping they hit. And the Iowa was significantly more accurate. Like they won shooting competitions and all kinds of stuff. Like, and, and, and considering the, had, the displacement had, of rounds, like or not displacement, uh, the distribution of rounds. When they fire, they're not going in a straight line. They're going to be diverging. So even if you aim and you are on the right target, if they're genuinely that far away, you fire. If it's even a centimeter off, you're talking about something that is going to be hundreds of yards to the side. 
Yep. And then there's the fact of I'm not convinced that an Iowa couldn't survive being hit by the Yamato, and I'm pretty sure the Yamato could not survive being hit by the Iowa. And the big part of that is America had, and to this day has, the best damage control for Navy vessels on the planet. And like that's a pretty well-accepted claim worldwide. Also hit where? Because if you're going to be talking about taking something that it's like it goes on the deck, then yeah, that's going to do some damage. But unless it's really going to punch through the armor belt and hit something that causes it to detonate, like, you know, the uh, ammo storage. The magazine, yeah. Right? You'd ha- but my, my point is that the America and the Iowa's by extension have much better damage control than the Yamato did, because I forget the name. I want to say it was like the Taos something but it, I mean, it was an entire japanese aircraft carrier that was sunk by a single torpedo because their damage control was so horrendous one of the few like, carriers that they actually made you should not be able to sink an entire aircraft carrier with one torpedo Mm-mm. like the uss uh what is it the uss laffy was a destroyer not even armored and it took 38 kamikazes or something like that didn't sink just because of how the united states methods for damage control that is ridiculous though hell i was inside the uss wisconsin like i saw the stuff that it had there for the varying hatches and the way the hallways were i saw everything for how the damage control would have been situated and it's one of those interesting things so if you if for anyone who has not been inside a battleship when you are at the water line when you are there everything below in the hallway is like where all the stuff is stored each seg area is segmented where it has a certain amount of hallway and then you think okay at the end of that hallway is going to be a hatch and you just go through it no it has a ramp that leads up to it because the idea is that if an area gets hit and it starts taking on water the water if even if if you had a flat hallway even if you seal the hatch, that means water is still going to get into other parts of the ship. But if you have ramps that lead up, as well as, you know, the the actual entryway door is like a foot or two off the ground, then that means that as the water fills up, you're able to get through, close the hatch, and no water escapes into the other side. It's so much smarter. Absolutely. And, uh, like, even the... And I don't know what the training was like back then, but I do know that... Uh, like the modern day damage control men, it's like they're considered to have like the best course in the world. Like a lot of foreign militaries send their guys over here to train with the United States. They have this humongous setup, for like being in an actual simulated sinking ship. It was uh, designed by Disney, actually. Oh my God. The Dis- yeah, it's, it's supposed <laughs> to be a phenomenal setup. Oh Lord. That is, that is great. That is great. I'll tell you what. We've been going in here for 48 minutes now. Oh, wow. We've actually done this here for a while. See, this is what happens when you start chatting and it just goes. It just goes. So tell you where to be. It's up to you. Let's let's finish this off with one one more thing. So we've talked about the best. We've talked about the worst. What would be what would be the, the luckiest or weirdest one? For a story for a battleship, would it be the case of the Wisconsin when it took or with regards to temper temper? Would it like what what would be 
the weirdest or most interesting story, I guess, involving one? Um, I don't know about weirdest story. So you have you have the the Wisconsin during the Korean War. It was doing shore bombardments and a North Korean artillery emplacement shot at it. Blew a, it was like a 20 by 18 inch hole through the wooden deck. It turned all nine of its guns on this artillery emplacement and did a full broadside, just deleted this entire hill. Uh, you have that. Then you have uh, during, I want to say it was during Vietnam, the New Jersey sunken island. Um, there was bad guys on it. They actually let the bad guys evacuate, and then you know, they just fired what, on it until they beat it you, below the ocean level. Do you know more of the full story for it here that you want to tell? Because people have asked me repeatedly in videos to make a video on that story. I just haven't. Of the, of the USS New Jersey? Yeah, and the sinking of the island. No, I don't. Uh, I oh. pulled up I, like I went through and like looking at microfilm of newspaper articles and it's pretty much a regurgitation of the same thing. Um, yeah, that's what I figured, because when I was looking, I was like, oh, man, well, I want to do this. But the thing is, there's so little information on it that I don't yeah. want to screw something up. Yeah, it's very hard. There's very little information. All I know is that they, they actually let the uh, I don't know if it was NVA or Viet Cong, but they actually let them evacuate the island and then they literally just shelled it till it beat the landmass below the sea level. Mm. Um, and then you have uh, you could argue that America has the best utilization of battleships because the USS Washington was the only battleship to actually sink another battleship. So that's the only battleship in history to have uh, successfully done what a battleship was intended to do to take on um, other capital ships and provide shore bombardment. Exactly. Efforts. And that's the only one that's ever done it. Uh, otherwise, I, th I would I would say the most interesting thing is just how. America still got tried to get their money's worth out of the Iowa class battleships. You you're um, talking about the Wisconsin and the Gulf War, aren't you? Well, the Wisconsin, the New Jersey, I mean, just how cuz they retrofitted them with uh had a helipad in the back, they had sea whizzes on them. Uh they had uh they had UAVs missiles, they had UAVs like just turned them into this giant thing to try to get their money's worth out of it and i, I don't know i always think that's kind of awesome well then what i will do before we go is i will leave this with what I, in my opinion is the funniest little story from that here so uav back during the time of the gulf war it got launched from the wisconsin it was it was doing some flight going over from with uh the iraq's invasion into kuwait and what happened is as this uav got launched and was going over enemy positions the members who were on the ground who it seems had never actually encountered a they never encountered one of these before they did not know that it was not equipped with weapons that it was just something to spy here so on february 23rd when a platoon of rocky troops encountered this they surrendered to the wisconsin's uav like as the uav ah. was scanning them they surrendered because it was scouting a line of fortifications in kuwait's uh Felaka island and so it is believed that that is the first time in history that an aerial drone has ever captured enemy personnel that is hilarious <laughs> i just it's just hilarious because they don't know they don't know this thing doesn't have guns. It's literally just a camera with wings. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I can't believe we made it all the way through a podcast without talking about the USS Texas. 
I here's the thing. The only reason that I did not talk about the USS Texas is myself, you and every other person that has ever covered anything with naval history in the entirety of it <laughs> has talked about the USS Texas. Like, I remember doing that. Yep. I remember making that video and being like, oh, this is so good. And then, of course, I couldn't find it one day. So I looked USS Texas and there's 30 other accounts that are also telling the story. And I'm looking at like, ah, man, this just looks like this just looks like someone trying to chase something. I don't like this. <laughs> so For real. And so I didn't want to talk about it because every person and their mother has heard that story. It's still a great one, but. I don't want to beat a dead horse because the dead either. horse is already half filled with water. I, I don't either. But the only reason I bring it up is because they're actually moving it. And they're uh, oh, they trying are? to. Yeah, they're moving it right now or the, or it just got moved. Like it's it's been not available to go see for the last three months because they're moving it to a different location. And uh, they're trying to renovate some stuff to preserve it because I guess it's pretty rough. So uh, if you do like naval history, you can actually go to uh, the USS Texas website. And first of all, they have some really cool merch. Like they have a they have a hockey jersey that says Dreadnoughts. And like, I'm going to order it. And uh, you can also donate like a 100 bucks and they'll send you a chunk of the USS Texas's armor that they cut into the shape of the Texas, the state. And they like stamp USS Texas in it. So if you did, if you did want to support it, so uh, they got some pretty cool stuff you can buy. That is actually pretty nice. Yeah. Well, so. Nick, fat electrician. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And thank you to everyone who has listened. Uh, if you would like to have a ad free experience, then please do check out my Patreon where this episode is going to be going up immediately. And I will see you all here this next Friday when the next episode releases. Thank you for everyone who has listened, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. And thank you, Fat Electrician, for joining in with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye, guys. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply